Oxford Centre for Triple Value Healthcare, otherwise known as 3V, scans over 30 journals seeking out important papers on value. To save you time, 3V assesses this research to identify the implications for value-based healthcare and summarizes them on our blogs and in our podcasts. This week's podcast is an interview with Jack O'Sullivan, the lead author on an important paper in the British Medical Journal, published on the 28th of November 2018. It's around the temporal trends in use of tests in UK primary care from 2000 to 2015. Jack, along with his colleagues such as Richard Hobbs, Ben Goldacre, Carl Hennigan, uh, have opened up some very important issues that we need to consider when thinking about value. Uh, the interview was conducted with Jack, who is now doing a postdoc uh, piece of research on cardiovascular testing in Stanford, uh, and so it was done over the phone, uh, and so it may sound a little bit fuzzy, but we think it's a great listen. Thank you very much for agreeing to the interview today. Uh, as you know, here at the Oxford Centre for Triple Value Healthcare, we got very excited when this paper was published because we think it's very important. Um, it'd be great if you could just outline the sort of headlines uh, from the study. What were the big things you think people should pick up from it? Sure. Um, well, firstly, thank you very much for having me on, on the show. I, I very much appreciate it. And thank you for the kind words about my paper. I think... If I could put the headline into one line, I think the very important finding from this paper is, on average, patients in UK general practice got about one and a half tests a year in the year 2000. Now, with the increase in test use, patients in the year 2015 get about five tests on average. Um, so that's obviously a dramatic increase in, for each individual person that goes to UK general practice, which is obviously an enormous amount of people. Okay, that's, that's very helpful. And from what I understood, I mean, that, and I think those average numbers are quite a quite startling way of looking at it, but my understanding also from the paper, actually, of course, the testing was clustered, wasn't it? So it wasn't everybody was getting an average five. Uh, we don't expect people to queue at the local general practice and say, I've only had three this year, I'm owed two more. Because um, it was a clustering effect as well, wasn't it? Some people having many more tests. Yeah, you're right. So um, aside from looking at the change in total test use for patients on average, uh, which we saw that go up by about three and a half fold, we also tried to distinguish whether the increase that we saw over time was uh, a greater number of patients getting test use or a greater number of tests being ordered for a small for the small or the same number of patients. Now, for, for listeners that actually potentially have the paper in front of them while, while I'm talking, this, I'm referring to figure three here. And what we did is we, we looked at, as you described, Tim, the cluster of test use in 2000, in 2004, and 2015, and we tried to determine what percentage of test use was ordered on a small number of patients uh, and what percentage of test use was, was ordered on a, a large number of, of patients. So how we, how we did that was look at the proportion of test use that was ordered for patients that received less than test, 10 tests a year 
and we compared that at the different years. So we know in 2000, only around 9.5% of tests were ordered for patients who had less than uh, 10 tests, more than 10 tests, sorry, annually. Now, if you compare that to 2015 and 2016, the same statistic, so uh, the number, the proportion of tests that were ordered for patients who had more than 10 tests, yes, uh, 10 tests annually was around 33%. So we can see a shift in the number of tests ordered for a small group of patients or the same group of patients that probably reflects our, incre our increased desire or inclination to monitor patients, particularly with the introduction of the QOS, the Quality Outcomes Framework, over that time. Yes, indeed, and that will be part of it. And I noticed that the um, biggest increases were in the first few years around the time of the QOF being introduced. So I think it was, uh, from recollection, uh, the, the annual increase was more like 20%, and then it's, it's, it hasn't plateaued out at all. It's still increasing, but the, the annual rate of increase in the last few years has been somewhat less. So QOF appears to have some impact. Just going back, though, to that group of people who, um, uh, this, this group of people having more than 10 tests, um, we've known for a long time that as soon as you give somebody a diagnosis, they end up requiring more, uh, they end up being sort of in inverted commas sicker, i.e. they attend the doctor more often, they have more other problems. Uh, and these are these are um, attendances and problems that are unrelated to their primary diagnosis. One of the most famous studies was around giving somebody a label of hypertension. Do you think, um, so as you say, one element of this is going to be better monitoring of people with long-term conditions, so that's probably a good thing. But do you think that other, other factors might be at play? Might it also be that we've medicalized some people, so other things start to be found? Um, or, or do you think there's also the incidentaloma uh, phenomenon, i.e. we pick something up on the test and that means you've got to have more tests to do and um, maybe referrals, uh, which I know you didn't study, um, to prove that actually this was just an incidental finding. I mean, do you think there's also these other things at play, as I say, the medicalization and then the investigation of incidentalomas? Yeah, I think that's a great question, and I think one of the things that I noticed after the publication of this paper is most of the debate and interest around my findings were about trying to extrapolate what were the causes and the drivers of these changes. And I think that is a very important question, and it is beyond the exact scope of this paper, as in, as in what we suggest in the paper and what I'm going to talk about now is not driven from the data that we produced in the paper. And it's more of an exploration that we can discuss and I think will inform future work. So I think, I think as you talked about, uh, and you David Sassett's very famous example of hypertension, we know that when you label someone with a disease, it causes tension and anxiety, more referrals, more tests. So I do suspect that that is a driver of, of the increased test use. We know that with our increasing sensitivity of our radiological tests and increasing the sophistication of the technology, we now pick up more 
we can we can identify smaller lesions, smaller cancers, which in many ways is a good thing, but in some ways can lead to, as you described, interlentinomas, some of which will never grow to cause to cause a patient harm. Um, the only point that I think is important to note about incidentalomas is typically when we talk about incidentalomas or when people think about incidentalomas, we think about imaging tests. And actually, if you look at the results that my paper produced, there has been a big increase in imaging tests, as there's been a big increase in laboratory and other miscellaneous tests. However, from UK general practice, in terms of absolute numbers, the biggest use is laboratory tests. And you can get some intentalomas from laboratory tests, but it's slightly harder to definitively say something is incidental from a lab test compared to uh, an imaging test. Now, beyond incidental findings, uh, what are some of the other drivers that may have led to this? Um, we do talk about this in the paper in the discussion section. And I think it's still up for debate and discussion and potentially some future qualitative work will be very interesting to try and to try and sort of confirm or refute some of the things that you think may be driving this increased test use. One of the one of the one of the reasons that really caught me is this idea that both doctors and patients we know from the previous literature over uh emphasize or have a have a belief that the results from the test, the use of tests, will benefit their patient beyond what the literature suggests that the test actually will. So when we have this combination of doctors and patients believing that, um, you can see why that would be a really strong driver to lead to increased test use. Very good, no, indeed, indeed. And from what we know, things like shared decision making, we, when uh, individuals or patients are actually given all the, pro, the, the evidence around the pros and cons, we know that they tend to opt not to have the treatment or, or, or test indeed. Um, so, um, do you think, um, obviously this study was done in the UK, um, uh, partly because of the, you know, the, well, partly because of databases there, there are. Do you think that um, the UK is unique in these findings, or you know, you're in Stanford uh, now? Um, but do you think other countries uh, are going to be having, having the same same phenomenon? Yeah, it's interesting because I think there's a couple of different points about this. A, the UK is, is in a brilliant and unique situation that it can study nationwide epidemiology in this way because of the NHS, which provides everyone with care. It is probably slightly trickier to do on a, on a national level in the US. However, there's small local studies that suggest, A, that there's quite stark geographical variation in, in test use around the US, and that test use is increasing. And I think what's been interesting about the study that, that myself and my team did is that before we did a study like this, if you speak to most people both in and out of healthcare, they tend to think that increase in healthcare resource use is specific and exclusive to healthcare systems that, that operate on a fee-for-service model. Um, you know, people think of the US and other fee-for-service models where doctors are, are sort of 
directly incentivized to order things, they think that the systems like that are much more prone to increase healthcare resource use and potentially overuse. And you know, interestingly enough, the, the, within the UK and the data we we looked at, this is all NHS UK primary care. So clearly, this phenomenon of increased use and an increased desire to do something within healthcare is not exclusive to fee-for-service models. Um, and that makes me think if this is happening within the NHS, I think it's hard to convince myself that it would not be happening in other models that have entirely private healthcare or a mixture of public and private healthcare. Very good, very good. Now, I suspect this is a... Uh, it is, uh, I suspect, it is a global change, as you say, and, and indeed there are. I'm, I'm aware of other studies looking at payment reform, where uh, they suggest that you know moving to away from fees for service doesn't seem doesn't seem to change um, this kind of clinical practice. So, uh, as you say, it doesn't seem to be uh, in, uh, financially incentive driven. So, um, just just finally to wrap up, I mean, it's been tremendously interesting, but. I suspect this is not just testing, but um, I don't know. Uh, I know you're now going to look more intensively at cardiovascular to understand more specifically what is happening. But if we were to look at areas outside of testing, where would you um, where would you suggest researchers start to to start to hunt for this kind of thing? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, and I've got a few ideas. I think the first point actually still on testing is an obvious study to do would be to see if the test use that we have noticed in primary care has been mirrored in secondary care. Um, you know, then I'd be surprised, but it's plausible that if secondary care is, has not increased as much as primary care because some of the secondary care services have been diverted to primary care. Um, more specifically to your point, I think there another valuable addition to the data that we've provided would be to try and investigate knock-on consequences from potentially increased overuse. So, as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, I think referrals from primary care is an interesting area to look at. Um, I also think test, uh, sorry, treatment is, is an interesting area to look at. And I, and I think on treatment, Ben Goldacre and his team have put together the, the fantastic open prescribing, which does look at similar metrics um, over time, mainly looking at geographical variation between practices. But they, for listeners that don't know, from prescribing is looking at all of UK primary care prescription drug te- uh, treatment use um, and its change over time and its variation between general practices. So they're already beginning to do things with open prescribing, and I know that they have plans to and continue to change them and, and, and improve the analysis and data visualization that they do. Uh, on that point, I think an obvious next step for this paper is to try and reproduce what Ben has been doing with open prescribing <clears throat> with test use in UK primary care. And I, and I am pleased to report that, that Ben and I and his data lab team have put in a, a series of grants to try and to try and make, or I should say, to try and get the funding to make open pathology, um, which would be a live online interface um, reflecting test use 
in UK primary care that would be updated automatically uh, and able to be accessed by anyone the, um, via the internet to, to look at both temporal increases in test use and also variation between practices um, in test use in UK primary care. Very good. No, thank you very much. So, look, Jack, this has uh, been really helpful. Very, this is a really important study. Uh, I think at a time when most health system leaders are saying we haven't got enough money, um, studies like this really make you start to question whether we are investing our resources wisely. Uh, as we've already described, some of this increase in testing that we that you've observed in your in your paper is probably welcome and a good thing because it's better monitoring or, or an, an earlier diagnosis of important conditions. But some of the testing you refer to in the paper, as we've discussed, although we can only speculate, but we suspect uh, maybe um, uh, a, a change in uh, risk behaviours or a whole range of things. But not all of this is, is good additional testing, I think we, we, we could say. Uh, and then, as you say, um, this probably um, relates also to many other things, whether it's surgical procedures or prescribing. Um, and indeed, I think you can see temporal trends in prescribing data using the openprescribing.net uh, database. So really important stuff. Um, we look forward to hearing more about uh, your deep dive into cardiovascular, because I suspect you might start to answer some of the questions we've raised today. Um, and thank you very much, Jack. We really appreciate it. If you want to stay informed about important developments in value-based healthcare, you can subscribe by joining our mailing list at www.3vh.org.